Well, today we're going to continue our series that we started last week called An Unexpected Christmas. And that title is going to make more sense as we go further into this series, An Unexpected Christmas. And so as we begin this morning, we want to begin this message by checking back in with the people at Velma's Cafe. How, how many of you were here last week? All right. So you saw the video of Velma's Cafe. Let's check back in with Velma and see what she's doing to prepare for Christmas at the diner. Here we go. Previously on Velma's. I'm from the Fountain of Grace Memorial Church, and I wanted to see if I could place a poster in your window. Oh. It's an advertisement for our annual Christmas pageant. If you really want some help, we can do a lot more than just put a poster in the window. Well, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single oh, ladies. Oh, 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 oh. A poster in the window is more than enough from you people. More than enough from you people? I think it's just best that you stick a bow on it and shove it onto your living Christmas tree. <laughs> she may be right. What? Well, let's face it, we are not church folk. We'll show that Fountain of Grace Memorial Church. We'll serve up Christmas Velma style, served with a smile. shakers. Uh, she went back in the storeroom for more decorations. More decorations? There's a fine line between tasteful and just plain techy. Buddy, darling, would you come help me with this, please? Now, Velma, honey, don't you think you've taken this thing a little bit too far? Too far? Yeah. I have only begun to decorate. Now, I admit at first I was just mad at that woman from the Fountain of Grace Memorial Church, but the more I think about it, the more I think I'm on to something. You're on something, all right. I'd say crack. <laughs> no, but I could crack open that file applications there in the back. You know, I think we could use some tinsel right over here. Mm -hmm, that's what I thought. Morning, everybody. Hey! Thank you, I know. Velma called and said she wanted me here first thing, so here I am. Morning, Henry. Thanks so much for coming in. No problem, sugar. But could you tell me what this is all about? Well, as you know, I have decided to put on a Christmas pageant of our very own right here in the diner. And since our motto is family style, served with a smile, I thought it would be appropriate to focus on the first family of Christmas. <laughs> Wait a minute, Velma. Don't you think with all that is going on right now that the president has too much to do to be in a Christmas pageant? Although it would be kind of sweet to have those two little girls here. For, you know, Christmas is so much more fun with children around. It's the first time we've had children in the White House. Henry, your body may be awake, darling, but your brain has hit the snooze button again. I'm not talking about the president. I'm talking about the first family of Christmas. Mary and Joseph, I have decided to do a nativity scene. I saw a nativity scene on the uh, Travel Channel the other night. There were girls in grass skirts. Not a native scene, buddy. A nativity scene. You know, with the baby Jesus and the Virgin Mary and the three wise men. Like we're going to be able to find three wise men around here. <laughs> It'd be a sight easier than finding them. Henry! Now, you may be old, but I will hurt you. Yes, ma'am. Now, this is what I'm thinking. Christmas is about loving each other and accepting each other and all those things that the Fountain of Grace Memorial Church has forgotten. So I thought we'd do it. Well, that's a grand idea, Velma, but uh, what do you need me for? Oh, well, there is that part about Mary riding in on a... Nadine, 
Henry, I need you to build me a stable and a manger. So, Velma, where exactly do you propose I build this stable? You don't have enough room in here for a hamburger, let alone a whole cow. Well, now, you've got a point. And what can I do? There's a community center right across the street. I bet they let you use it. <gasps> That's a great idea, Henry. Would you check for me? What about me? Oh, and Nadine, I thought with your fashion sense, you could be in charge of costume. But what about me? Oh, and another thing, Henry. The light on my sign has gone out, and I need it for advertising. But what about me? Have I gone deaf? No, wait, no, 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 I just heard that. <laughs> Buddy, I don't know what we can do with you, but I'm sure we'll think of something. Well, I, I'm, I'm real good with animals and, uh, and stables. Do they have animals? Now, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> oh, because most people think that I'm too stupid to help out. Oh, well, that is just wrong of me. You're a fine young man with a lot to offer, and I am very sorry. <laughs> About what? Never mind, buddy. Uh, Velma, uh, who's going to play the parts? Well, see, I've been thinking about that. I thought about all of us doing it, but then I thought that'd be just as stuck up as the Fountain of Grace Memorial Church. So I thought we'd get some of our customers, too. Like who? Well, like Johnny and a couple of the other boys from the fire station to play some of the wise men. I get it. Because they came from afar. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and I thought about Bill Robinson oh. from the part of Joseph. Oh, and what a fine-looking Joseph he will be. And Buddy here is going to be a shepherd, along with Bert and some of the other D.O.T. boys. Now, I'm still uh, waiting for the good Lord to bring my Mary along. We're just going to have to wait for her. What about the angel? Well, I read the Bible. I mean, for pity's sake. Well, I was getting to that. I thought the angel could be played by Nadine. Oh, so it's a comedy. Henry. Well, I'm sorry, Velma. You know, I, I love Nadine to death, but I can't see her playing an angel. I can't believe you. I'm sorry, Nadine. Henry had no right to say that. No, not Henry. You. What were you thinking? I can't play an angel. I'll be the laughing stock of the entire county. Don't be ridiculous. Now, both you and Henry are wrong. Buddy, what do you think about Nadine being an angel? I'll, I'll sure miss her when she's gone, but I don't question the good Lord about such things. Look, Velma, I appreciate the thought and all, but you can't give me one good reason for me to be an angel. The Bible says you're some of God's most beautiful creatures. Oh, well, there is that. No, no, no. Velma, this is a small town. Everybody knows everything about everybody. I can't stand out there in front of the people that know me best and pretend to be an angel. That's the point, darling. Anybody who stands out there will be pretending because none of us are angels. Now look, enough excuses. And besides, teacher says whenever a bell rings, an angel gets her wings. <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger bell. Well, the story of Jesus' birth that Velma and all her workers are getting ready to celebrate was recorded in in, by four guys in four different books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as Matthew begins his story, he begins the story with a genealogy. And he traces Jesus' line, his, his roots, all the way from Abraham to Jesus. Now, he had a couple of reasons to do that. First, you had to be related to Abraham to be really, really, really Jewish. And so he wanted all the Jewish people to know that Jesus really, really, really was Jewish. The second reason Matthew does that is because he wanted to show that Jesus was related to King David because the coming Messiah had to be in the line of King David. So Matthew begins this account of the Christmas story with the genealogy to prove those two things. 
But listen, as Matthew goes through the genealogy leading up to Jesus, it's like he goes out of his way to list all the craziest people <laughs> that were related to Jesus. All the crazies. He, he highlights the people in the line of Jesus that were the most colorful, some of them even R-rated sinful characters. He highlights some of the people of this world who had not yet had a real encounter with God. Or he highlights some people who had experienced God, but they kept falling away from God and falling back into sin. The truth is, Matthew begins by talking about some people just like us. Sometimes we fall back into sin. People who have never had an encounter with God. But why would Matthew do that? If you're trying to build a positive, rock-solid case that Jesus is God, that the Messiah that you're looking for is Jesus, then, man, I'd probably edit out all the shady characters in my family tree, wouldn't you? Amen? <laughs> if you're running for president, you kind of vet out all of those people and, and, and get rid of all those people. But not Matthew. He highlights the fact that not everybody in the line of Jesus was righteous. Not everybody was good. So why in the world would he do that? It's because Matthew wanted to highlight that Jesus was bringing something new, something fresh into this world. He was highlighting that through Jesus, everybody could have access to God. Everybody, regardless of what they had done, regardless of what they had not done spiritually and religiously, that everybody could have a relationship with God through Jesus because of what he had come to do, which was to give his perfect, sinless life to pay for the penalty our sins deserved. So Matthew came to give all people with a past some hope. He writes to give us some hope that maybe even colorful, R-rated, sinful people with a past. Maybe some people like in Velma's Cafe. People with a past. Some real hope for a real relationship with God. So he proved that even the Messiah was related to people with a past. As we begin, take a look at Matthew as we begin. Matthew writes, a record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, it was important that everybody knew that Jesus was connected to David, connected to Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Today, I want us to focus on this guy called Judah, one of the ancestors of Jesus. Now, this Judah had 11 brothers. And one of them was really famous. You know him really well. His name is Joseph. Joseph was that favored son. Many of you know the story of Joseph, the favored son of Jacob. And Jacob so loved him, but his brothers so despised him that they wanted to get rid of him because they thought he was the favorite son of Jacob and they just didn't like him. But not many of us know the story of Judah. And yet, as we read the genealogy that leads to Jesus, it doesn't mention Joseph, but it does mention Judah. Now, if you were God and you had to choose which one you're going to reveal that your son was related to, man, you and I, we would have skipped this guy named Judah because, man, he had an R-rated past, maybe even an X-rated past. 
But Joseph, he was the guy. I mean, Joseph was a man of character. He was persecuted. He was punished. He was treated unjustly. But then he turned around and treated all those people who treated him unjustly with love and forgiveness. At the end of his life, he becomes like a savior. He saves his family. He saves Pharaoh. He saves Egypt and and all the Egyptians. In fact, Joseph was a picture of the Jesus to come, the Messiah to come. So if there ever was a man through, through whom the Messiah should come, Joseph was the guy, not Judah. But what does God do? God picks Judah. He picks Judah, the opposite of Joseph, because God's plan has always been to reach down and lift up those of us who are entrapped in sin. God had a plan to reach down and lift up every single one of us. And all of God's people said, amen. Aren't you so glad that that's been God's plan to not only take the Josephs of the world who seem to get most things right, but he takes the Judas of the world. Here's how Judah's story begins. Judah and his brothers were jealous of Joseph. He was that that favored son. I used to say to my mom, my mom's visiting it with us for this this month, and you say, Mom, I, I'm your favorite son, right? I, I'm the one you like most, right? And still some of our kids today say, Dad, I'm your favorite, right? There's one of them that does it all the time right there. You know, and, and Joseph was kind of like that. You know, I'm the favorite son. And he would kind of play that up to his brothers. And then Jacob, his father, makes him this beautiful, ornate coat. He'd never done that for the other brothers. So he makes him this beautiful coat. Then Joseph goes out to the fields, and he's, he's striding around in this coat and showing it off to his brothers. And look at what the Bible says. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, of his coat, the richly ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern, that well, was empty, and there's no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up. They saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. So Judah's saying, okay, I'm going to be a nice brother. We're not going to kill you. We're just going to sell you. Okay, nice brother, right? After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Why would God allow Judah in the ancestral line of Jesus? One that's up to murder one of his own brothers. And then the only reason he didn't murder him is he thought, maybe we can get something out of him. Nice brother. Why would God highlight Judah in the Bible? Write this down. Judah had a flawed character. So why would God highlight him? He's a messed up guy. He's selling his own brother into slavery. Write this down. Judah was a jealous and angry man. And the only reason he didn't kill his brother is he thought, maybe I can get some money out of him. And me and my brothers, we can split up the money. We can get some profit out of him. Second, he was a devious man. So they act on the plan. They sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites put a chain on his wrist, drag him down to Egypt as a slave. Judah splits up the prophet among his brothers, and he's thinking in his head, I'm never going to have to lay eyes on, on Joseph again. He's gone. 
a devious man. The next, write this down. He's also a lying man. He's a lying man. He takes Joseph's fancy coat. He dips it in some animal blood. He takes the coat back to his father and tells him his son is dead. Joseph, I mean, Jacob's heart just breaks. Dad's heart just breaks. And then he lies and he says, an animal must have killed Joseph. All we could find was his bloody coat. So here's Judah, a jealous, angry, devious, lying kind of a guy. And we're talking about a guy that's got a flawed character plus one. Amen? A flawed kind of guy. And then year after year, dad mourns Joseph. He never stops, the Bible says. And if you read the story of Joseph, you find out that even though he has tons of ups and downs in Egypt, he ends up being the leader of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And this story of Joseph is the longest story of every story in the Old Testament. But then right in the middle of that long story comes one chapter about his brother Judah and how Judah, after he sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites, went on with his own life. He became a shepherd. It tells us that he lived in a town with his brothers, that he got married and had a bunch of kids, that his first son did evil in the sight of the Lord and and the, the woman that he married, her name was Tamar, was then left as a widow. That his second son did evil in the sight of the Lord and also died. So now here's Judah, kind of got on with his own life. But now he's learning what it's like to lose a son, like his father lost a son. And now he's lost two sons in a row. And so he really begins to grieve. And so one day he goes to see Tamar, his daughter-in-law. Because according to the laws and the customs of the day, he's now responsible for her. She's a single woman, part of his family. He's got to take care of her by law. And so he says to her, look, I'm going to take care of you. And when my third son is old enough to marry, I'll marry him to you. And then he'll take care of you. So he made this promise to her. So she waits and she waits for this younger man to grow up and marry her and take care of her. Her only hope in that kind of society in those days. Time goes by, and consistent with Judah's character, he ignores Tamar and the promise that he made to her. Never married her to her third son, his third son. And being unable to provide for herself, she comes up with a plan. And the plan she comes up with is not a good plan. It's an R-rated plan. But she comes up with a plan. How am I going to take care of myself in this society? How am I going to make money? I'm in poverty. So she comes up with this really creepy plan. She dresses up and disguises herself like a prostitute. She covers her face. She sits by the town gate. And because Judah was now a prominent man in this town, and because he sat on the city council, she knew that day after day, he came to that city gate and sat with the city elders, and they kind of had their city council meetings. And one day, Judah comes, and he sees this woman at the gate, Tamar. But he doesn't recognize her. She's all dressed up. She's in disguise. And he decides to hire this prostitute. And so they talk and they agree together what the payment would be for her services. And he offers her a goat. I guess that was the going rate in those days. A goat. Anyway, he didn't have a goat with him. And he wanted her services right away. And so 
They go find some place dark enough, evidently, that he wouldn't recognize her. And afterwards, he says, I will send you a goat. But she says, oh, no. As a pledge that you will keep your promise. You see, she knew Judah's character full well. As a promise that you're going to keep your promise, I want two things from you. I want your seal, which was like a signet ring around his neck. And I want your shepherd's staff. And those were big deals. I want your ring and I want your staff. But what could he do? He owes her a goat, doesn't have a goat. So he says, okay. So then he goes home to his, to his house and he tells a servant, I owe a prostitute a goat. Don't ask any questions, but go get a goat. Find her, give her the goat. And you're looking at me, this isn't a very Christmassy message, right? <laughs> but I'll get there, just a minute. So when the servant gets to town, he can't find the prostitute. Of course, she wasn't a prostitute. So he goes back home and says, Judah, I can't find her anywhere. Well, Judah didn't want to make a big deal of it. He was embarrassed. And so she's got his seal. She's got his staff. He didn't know what to do. So he just kind of let the promise slide. He let the bill go unpaid. But about three months later, somebody else comes running up to him and said, Judah, Judah, did you know your daughter-in-law is pregnant and she's not married? Well, then Judah did what every person does who has a secret and is pretending to be something that, that they're not. He gets self-righteous. And Judah says, my daughter-in-law has shamed my family. Let's burn her alive. Whoa, Judah. <laughs> is this the same Judah who sold his own brother? Is this the same Judah who broke his mom and dad's heart? Is this the same Judah that carries that secret? Is this the same Judah that promised to take care of his daughter-in-law? The one who broke his promise to his daughter-in-law? Is this the same Judah that forced Tamar into poverty? Is this the same one who led her to consider a moment of shame and then he didn't pay up? Yeah, it's that Judah with a flawed character. Next, write this down. Judah had this hidden secret. In fact, he had a lot of hidden secrets. But the most current one now concerns Tamar. Write this down. He got his daughter-in-law pregnant. So he not only ignored his promise to take care of her, but then he slept with her, and then he never paid her what he promised her. And that's way bad enough. But then, write this down, then he tried to have her killed. Judah says, let's burn her at the stake. She has shamed my family. She has broken the law. Like, yeah, Judah, you haven't broken the law? You haven't shamed your family? Let's burn her alive. Wait. Tamar has something of Judah's. Remember, she's got the seal and the staff. Suddenly, a servant runs up to Judah and says, Judah, Judah. Tamar wanted me to give you this message. She said, tell you this. I am, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. Can you just see Judah's face? <laughs> and suddenly Judah, looking at his seal and his staff, now says, smother the fire. Everybody, everybody, just go home. Go home. 
take down the stake, put out the fire. And then he goes to see Tamar and he says, you are more righteous than me because I didn't do what I said I would do. And six months later, she gives birth to a boy that she names Perez. And now Perez is in the genealogy of Jesus the Christ. And as I read all of that, I'm thinking, Matthew, you should have just skipped over that, that whole story. Now we've got a kid in the line of Jesus who never should have been conceived in the first place. This isn't the kind of thing you talk about. This is the kind of thing you bury. This is the kind of story that you want to hide unless it's the whole point of the story. But you know, as bad as all of his secrets were, this was not the end of the story of Judah. Let's fast forward a few more years. And suddenly Jacob, the father, calls all of his sons together and says, sons, we're in a famine. Go to Egypt and buy some grain. And so they do. And guess who's now in charge of all the grain of Egypt? Brother Joseph. He's in charge. He went to Egypt as a slave, and now he's the prime guy. So remember, as they come before Joseph, they've not seen him since he was a teenager. And now Joseph dresses like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He, he walks like an Egyptian. And they didn't recognize their own brother. But Joseph recognizes them. And his heart goes out to them. But first he begins to kind of mess with them and and uh, play some tricks on them, trying to see, have they changed or not? Or are they the same brothers or not? But the Bible says that at times when Joseph was doing all that, he was so overwhelmed with the emotion that he would run out of the room and he would cry because he loved his brothers. Even after all they had done to him. Joseph finally sends them back home without any grain. And they say, Father, something strange is going on. Pharaoh's commander wants us to bring Benjamin, the youngest, to Egypt. And Jacob says, uh-uh, uh-uh. Last time I sent the youngest with you, he didn't come back. I'm not going to send my youngest now. And he said, well, he won't sell us any grain unless Benjamin comes. We don't understand it. Something weird's going on, but he wants to see Benjamin. So Jacob finally gives in, and they go back to Egypt with Benjamin. So now they're in a room with Joseph, and they're bowing on their faces before Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph. So there's Judah on his face, hoping for some help. On his face before Joseph, who has the power to either help him or hurt him. And then Joseph says, I am Joseph, your brother. And at that moment, on his face is Judah. And I got to believe as he hears Joseph, he knows what he would do if the roles were reversed. If he had the power to take the life of the one who sold him into slavery, he would do it right there and right then. So Joseph is on his, uh, Judah's on his face, full of fear. But you know what? Judah's heart at that moment, even though Joseph said, I want to take care of all you people, still had a hard heart. This guy's heart was hard all of his life toward everyone but himself. Write this down. He would not own his own sin. He would judge other people at the city gate, but he would not own up to his own sin. Time after time, he wouldn't do that. And even now, face down before Joseph, full of fear, he still wouldn't confess his sin. 
Even though Joseph was saying, get up, get up. I forgive all of you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your families. I'm going to take care of your herds. Now go back, get dad, and bring him here so we can all be together. And Judah was still quiet. Didn't say, I'm sorry. Didn't apologize. Here's the picture of two brothers. Joseph, forgiving people, giving grace to people, saving people. He's a picture of the coming Messiah. Then here's Judah, a man with a flawed character. Hidden secrets, a hard heart. And God looks down and says, I think I'm going to skip the Savior guy and go with the lying guy. I'm going to skip the great brother and go with the bad brother. I think I'm going to bring my son into the world through the line of Judah, not Joseph. And so God inspires Matthew to highlight his story for all of us. The story of Judah. Why? Because Judah, there on his face before Joseph, is a picture of you and me. A person who deserved one thing, but was given something far better than he deserved. Grace and forgiveness. And yet, write this down, he would not confess until caught. Before this, Judah never broke, he never confessed, he never apologized, but suddenly he just got the opposite of what he deserved. God decided to skip the line of Joseph, the righteous, to send his son through Judah, the unrighteous, because he is always the God who plans to come and reach down and lift up those of us who are trapped in sin. And all of God's people said, amen. And God did that because that's the whole point of Christmas. Write this down on your outline. Grace and forgiveness is the point of Christmas. You see, you can have grace and forgiveness and salvation in heaven regardless of what you've done. Or regardless of what you have not done that you should have done. You can have all of that regardless of a flawed character. Regardless of secret, hidden sins and a hard heart. God's plan for you and me has always been grace and forgiveness. And that plan was made possible when Jesus came as a child. To offer grace and forgiveness to all who would come to him. To all who would place their belief in him. To all who would confess their sins to him. And then follow him as Savior and Lord. That's God's plan. And his grace and forgiveness has nothing to do with what we've done, but what he's done for us. And that's why Matthew starts to tell the Christmas story by naming all of the messed up people in the lineage of Jesus. It's like he's saying, before we get to the Jesus part, before we get to the birth of the Savior part, I want to remind you that God has always offered grace and forgiveness to the people that are broken, the messed up people, people with a past, people with secrets and people that have hurt other people, those are the ones he has chosen to love and restore and then even use. And if they'll just humble themselves and turn to God for help, they'll have access to God 
And they'll have grace and forgiveness from God. Not because they happen to get some stuff right and do enough right stuff to get his grace and forgiveness, but because Jesus, the one who was born, the one whose birthday is Christmas Day, because he did all the right stuff. It's because of what he did that allows us to experience the grace and forgiveness of God. And so Matthew writes later in his book that Jesus poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And then the Bible goes on and says in Romans, look at this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, messed up, flawed characters, Christ died for us. Amen? Isn't that amazing? You are the point of Christmas. I am the point of Christmas. God sent Jesus into this world to offer grace and forgiveness to people who didn't deserve it. And that's you and me. So here's the question for you. Are you kind of like Judah? Do you have a flawed character? Have you done some awful, nasty things? Do you have a hidden secret? Do you have a hard heart? If so, does that make you think that maybe you can never have a relationship with God because you can't go back, you can't fix your past, you can't go back and undo and unlive what you've done? Is that you this morning? If so, I've got some of the best news ever. It's Christmas. And Christmas is about a gift. Your relationship with Jesus really begins just like Judah's relationship began with Joseph. Listen close. When Judah looked up at Joseph, he got something that was so unexpected. We're talking about an unexpected Christmas. Joseph was offering him a gift of grace and forgiveness. So when Judah, messed up as he was, looked up at Joseph, he decided to accept his gift even though he didn't deserve it. So listen, when you and I look up to Jesus, who is still offering grace and forgiveness, we too can decide to accept his gift. Even though we also know that, like Judah, we don't deserve it. He should take my life, not bless my life. This Christmas, you too can receive a gift from Jesus that maybe you never would have expected him to give you. And that's grace that covers all of your sins and forgiveness for all of your sins, past and even present. And did you know it covers even sins of the future? God looks at you and he says, I know you're not perfect, but if you'll place your faith in me, confess your sins and follow me, I'll give you the great gift of grace and forgiveness that covers all your sin. And all God's people said, amen. He covers it all. I'm getting chills down. I know it's cold this morning, but covers all of our sins forever and ever. So if you've not yet softened your heart toward God, if you've not confessed that secret sin, that maybe you've been playing with and you know it's wrong, you know it's not pleasing to God, 
If you've not admitted your flawed character, would you let this be the day that you look up to Jesus and confess those things? And as I pray this prayer, you can repeat it in your heart and and you can just simply get honest with God and you can either begin a relationship with Him or you can restore your relationship with Him to all you know it should be. If you just pray this prayer and mean it in your heart and begin to follow Him. Would you bow with me for prayer this morning? It goes like this. Would you pray, Lord Jesus, I confess right now that my heart has been hard toward you. I confess that I've messed up and sinned in seen and unseen ways. I confess that I'm flawed in so many ways. I know I don't deserve forgiveness. But Lord, after hearing about your gift of grace and forgiveness, I decide today to accept it. So come live in my heart. Forgive me of all my sin. And by faith, I accept your grace and forgiveness. And from now on, I will follow you. With all heads bowed, if you prayed that prayer, would you just say, Pastor, I'm going to confess before God and you by raising my hand that I prayed that prayer. I've made that decision today. Amen. Awesome. 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 Thank you. Father God, right here is this season when we focus in a greater way upon the gift of your Son becoming God with us. Lord, help us to just bow before you and look up to you and give you worship and praise because you are with us and in us. We thank you for your gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.